0: Today's episode is in partnership with Freelance Football Ops. If any of our listeners are already out there freelancing in the world of football, or looking to get started even, you may be interested in signing up to Freelance Football Ops subscription-based newsletter. They find you football media jobs which cover writing, design, video, audio, and much more, and they do it every week. My last newsletter was packed with all sorts of cool opportunities, from commentary work to PR work even for some Premier League clubs. So if you're interested, and for some more info, head to FreelanceFootballOps.com. Hello, hello, welcome, and welcome back to the United Mates football podcast. Today, as ever, I am joined by my co-host, Joe, and our friend Yanni is also here. We have a special guest on the pod, too, and Joe will be introducing him properly very soon. Just before we get to them, Yanni, welcome back to the podcast. How have you been? Hi, Kai. Uh, Yeah, thanks for having me on again.
1: I've been been doing okay. Arsenal's patchy form aside, um, been... At home, we're just coming out of the second lockdown here. Things I think today have opened up again Um, and looking forward to getting back, playing football on Saturday with Joe. That will be a nice change. Get outside, some fresh air, Um, but good to be back.
0: Yeah, yeah. You mentioned Arsenal's patchy form. I can see myself, obviously, in the video we're doing. I'm like in honor of that, sporting quite a patchy beard um, to represent, (laughs) but it hasn't been too fun to watch, has it, Yanni? But I'm sure we'll get into a bit more of the Arsenal chat soon joe my co-host like i said as ever we are the united mates how are you doing
2: yeah i am um, i'm very good kai i'm obviously spurs are top of the league which is is nice it's not a nice change often not that doesn't happen too often hope it remains for a while um but like yoni said happy about the end of the second lockdown in the uk looking forward to playing some football with yoni on the weekend so yeah it's all exciting there's a there's a, there's a football match happening on sunday too which um I'm quite excited about as well. But um, that aside, um, it brings me great pleasure to introduce um, our guest um, for today. Frankie Hobbs is the Global Director of Campaigns at the GOAT Agency, which is one of the leading companies in the world for influencer marketing. And for those who are in the marketing world or follow its movements, um, you might have already seen Frankie in one of GOAT's daily vlogs that they used to do. Sadly, it stopped, but um, I, w- I was always. Big fan of those. Um, However, what you might not know about Frankie is much like Kaito and Yoni, he's an avid Arsenal fan. So um, that's a shame. It it happens. It happens. But Frankie, um, thanks for joining us. How are you?
3: I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Um, Yeah, I think when you said there's a there's a football match this weekend, I I think it's the first time. I'm probably speak for everyone when it's the first time I'm actually not looking forward to the North London derby whatsoever, Um, and I'm a little I'm ashamed to say I'm a little bit fearful to be honest um but other than that all good as you say lockdown lockdown's ending a bit bit jealous of the football you guys are playing uh both Spurs and you guys having a kick around but yeah no all good looking forward to the show and thanks thanks for having me on guys.
2: Oh no thank you for being here we're looking forward to it too but before we get into more of the football chat we have um an icebreaker which we always start our um episodes with so um don't know if you remember a week or so ago, but at the end of the Arsenal-Leeds game, Tierney got into a bit of a exchange, fight, whatever you want to call it, with Alyoski um, at full time, um, which was yeah quite, quite funny to see, to be honest. But um, what I want to know is, if you found yourself in a fight, which footballer would you want to be
3: backing you up, and why? That's a great question. Um, to be honest, I think, now this is probably quite rogue, actually, but Someone like Bruno Alves. I feel like he's probably got my back. Um sort of wears his heart on his sleeve. I'm trying to think of a more relevant maybe Arsenal example. I right, look, Martin Keown, potentially. Like that that I'm just thinking he had he had his teams back yeah, in yeah. in the Battle of Old Trafford, so maybe maybe Martin Kean would be a good one.
2: Nice, yeah. Martin Keown. I'm sure he he'd be some good backup. I'm thinking I'd probably have to go for someone like Musa Sissoko at Spurs, to be honest. I reckon he'd be great backup, but I mean, you don't really want to mess with Musa, so I'll choose him. But um, Yoni, who's your guy in this situation?
1: Well, I, I was actually going to say Marcin Kion as well, um, oh. but I had I, ha- I had a backup in case the situation arose. Um, and it's actually a former Spurs player, which doesn't give me much pleasure to say. But I think I'd want someone like Fernando Llorente uh, for a couple of reasons. One of those piercing blue eyes, I think that that could sort of scare off any potential attacker and also just being kind of quite a generic example of masculine beauty I think that would like intimidate whoever was trying to cause trouble um so yeah very different though Martin Keoghan and Fernando Llorente um you couldn't really get more polar opposites there
2: yeah, very different. Although I'd be worried that he wouldn't want to um, damage his face given that, yeah, that's a big asset he's got there. But uh, no, good choice. But um, Keitel, um what about you? Who's backing you up in a fight?
0: If I needed a, a player to back me up in an actual fight, it couldn't look further than um, Kolasinac. I think we all obviously saw the footage of him defending Ozil and his wife from those um, those robbers last year. And um, honestly, that's like the lightest I've ever seen Kolasinac on his feet was fighting off those guys moving on um, to well a bit of football but actually we, we've got a game lined up but before we get into that game i do want to draw everyone's attention to a really great cause that was actually brought to our attention originally by a follower on twitter so the big stanford bridge sleep out has been organized by chelsea supporters trust and it has the full support of chelsea football club too so you can sleep out to help out on saturday march 27th of next year and what you'll be doing is raising money for stall a charity that helps provide support for vulnerable and suffering veterans. This year, the Sleepout is a virtual one, so there's no need to make it to the actual stadium, and you can even do it from your own bed if you want to. So as long as you're raising money, you don't even have to be a Chelsea fan. For more info on how to get involved with this great cause, head to chelseasupporterstrust.com or Google the Big Stamford Bridge Sleepout. Right. I mentioned a game just before all that, and it is time for... Hawaii, which lads? So I've got a couple of fixtures from the past. And for each one of those, you are going to be trying to name one of the teams starting 11s from that day. So the first match took place at the Emirates Stadium on the 1st of November, 2011, when Arsenal played out a nil-nil stalemate with Marseille in the Champions League group stages. So I'm looking for Arsenal's starting lineup from that day. If you're listening, play along.
3: But yeah, go for it, guys.
0: I've got clues if you need them.
3: Okay, if we didn't score, then I'd say Van Persie probably didn't play.
0: This was, I believe, possibly during an injury spell of Van Persie's. Um, so yeah, we definitely had alternative forwards on the pitch.
2: So in goal, Chesney, I imagine.
0: Yep, Chesney's in goal. Sanya at right back. <laughs> no, no, it's a right back who like became a bit of a cult legend at Arsenal, but he was never. Abue. No, although we have, I guess we have quite a few <laughs> co-icon right backs That's kind of our banter position.
2: Oh, Carl Jenkinson. <laughs>
0: yeah, oh. Carl Jenkinson, who Arsblog always refers to the fact that Carl Jenkinson's dad did like the backup singing on Total Eclipse of the Heart. And I Googled it the other day, and I'm pretty sure that's a lie. <laughs> but anyway, it kind of adds to that. Yeah, no, it is. Yeah, it
1: is. But it was a rumor, which Arseblog still, I think, wants people to believe.
0: I think, someone, I think someone might even have asked Jenkinson in an interview about it. And he just had sorry. to be like, "That's yeah, no. He like just laughed at them. He was like, what? <laughs> what? what are you talking about? Koscielny. Koscielny is also not
3: oh. playing. Yeah. Well, wow. Um, yeah, and Jury probably would have played at that time.
0: No, the centre-backs are pretty solid. Um, both of them, obviously, not many. <laughs> Go on, sorry.
3: Is that, I, don't, I don't think i had solid centre-backs <laughs> since I've been born, right? Really. Oh, no,
0: is, must be
3: playing at this. Yeah,
0: he is. He is, but he wasn't the captain. And, uh, look. The the other centre back was the captain, surprisingly.
3: Thomas Van Marlen. Yes, there you go. There you
0: go. So you got the keeper, and you've and also got three out the back four. you. Don't have to finish the defence, but
3: should we
2: just finish it for fun and go with Kieran Gibbs?
0: <laughs> if he was there, you would have finished it. But this is another left back, also another oh, bit of like a cult player. Play
3: oh, Andre, 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 Andre Santos. Yeah.
0: Absolutely, Andre Santos. Yeah. All right. Moving on to the midfield or the attack.
3: Mm. Um. So he probably played some sort of midfield of like Jack Wilshere's probably having injuries at this point. Um. Maybe Aaron Ramsey. Yeah, um, Ramsey's in there. Arteta. Ramsey and... yeah, Arteta's yeah. in. I was going to say he's oh, the, the only Arteta. player that's
0: actually still involved with the club that played in this game.
3: And then Walcott, I imagine, would have played he played yeah, yeah.
0: Walcott played. Um. Yossi T- no Benny Yoon. Although he might have I think he was around this season. Um Thomas Rositzki. No Rositsky. We're looking for a center midfielder, a winger, and a forward. The
3: uh Marwan Shamak, maybe up front?
0: <laughs> this guy is like the only player who somehow flopped harder than Shamak. Oh Arsenal. what Park too young? Park Chu Young started this game. I remember being he at the fake. Yeah, he started he, this game.
3: He started a Champions League proper match. I think he scored well, like the one Saints. goal for
0: us against Bolton in like a League Cup game or something like that. Yeah,
3: or... I, I, I remember the goal re- really vividly. It was uh, played down the middle and he, he kind of opened his body up. Like, to it was know, like an he Henri-esque finish, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I, th- I think we all, we all
0: bought in. Otherwise, the winger and a centre midfielder. Savinho. Um, yeah, that's the winger and then the centre midfielders from the same continent.
2: Alex Song.
0: Yeah. There. You go. There we go. So, I do have one more for you and kind of Arsenal's teams obviously changed a fair amount over the last couple of decades, but we're going to make it a little more difficult for you guys. So, on the 9th of January 2007, Arsenal infamously beat Liverpool 6-3 at Anfield in the Carling Cup. K- Julio the Beast Baptista scored. Four goals for the Gunners that day. But can you lot name the Liverpool starting eleven from that day?
2: Oh, my God. I've got
0: lots of clues for you
2: guys, so don't worry. I I remember who scored one of the goals, weirdly. Uh, Robbie Fowler.
0: Yeah, he was starting. And this would have been, what, his second spell at Liverpool when they re-signed him.
2: Yeah, he was quite old at this point. Yeah, Um. Dudek was in goal for this. Yeah, Jersey
0: Dudek in goal.
1: And I think another Liverpool scorer was Sammy Huppia. Yeah,
0: yeah. He was. Um, so you've got yeah, centre back and you've got the keeper and you've got a striker.
2: Um was um one of the really rogue ones um Pauletta.
0: Paletta, yes, paletta. Yeah, yeah, yeah it yeah. was. It was. He, he, um he, like,
2: went on to have an He or does have quite a good career start. So like, yeah, he's played up.
0: for AC Milan. And what's weird yeah, yeah, is that yeah. he was Argentine when he played for Liverpool, but he's yeah, yeah. since played for Italy a couple times because I guess he spent that much time in playing in Italy. Um okay. so you got the two centre backs. Um, the um, right back is the most obscure player in this team. He recently played for Cardiff for quite a long time. Technically, he plays for West Brom right now, but I don't think he's ever played for
2: him. Oh, I know it. I feel ashamed <laughs> that I know it, but I do know it. It's Lee Peltier.
0: Yeah, it is Lee Peltier. <laughs>
3: <laughs> that, is, that is incredible knowledge. <laughs> um,
0: the left back was decent for a minute, and I think Liverpool might have been the club that he sort of began his career with. Didn't really make it into the first team properly ever, but was quite well, good for a couple it, of other teams.
3: Is it Jack Robinson? No, oh, although I rate Jack
0: Robinson like, as a left back. I maybe, think guy,
3: maybe like Aurelio? Aurelio
0: or... Well, Aurelio was playing in midfield. So you, you've got another. Oh, wow. But this guy, in English, English. <laughs> um, he played also oh, for Gonja. But it, he didn't play for Villa and Blackburn, did he? <laughs> it, it is the player you're thinking of, yeah. Stephen
3: Warnock. Oh. Yeah,
0: well in yeah. Stephen Warnock. So now... Another forward, a winger, and a couple... One Barble, maybe? No Barble. They had... This was probably an early signing in the... Relatively early in the Benitez era. Uh, a South American winger.
3: Oh, Mark Gonzalez.
0: <laughs> yeah, Mark Gonzalez, who had such a cool name, and he was from Chile, and it was quite exciting, but he wasn't that good.
3: Um, no, he was incredibly quick as well, and meant to be, yeah. meant to be very good. So I now, think
1: Steven Gerrard also scored, but I don't know if he started.
0: I, I've got it in there, but I think that I might have made a mistake with that. So oh, I'm God. going to double check. But the other centre midfielder... It's Sebastian Leto. Oh, no, but that's a cool one. Um, no, this Maybe is like Momo
3: Sissoko? English, um, English.
0: English, yeah. He was, a, again, I think like oh. a Liverpool Academy product. Oh, what,
2: Jay Spirit? No. Jermaine Pennant wasn't involved, was he?
0: No Pennant. Yeah, um, he played for Newcastle as well. Oh, Danny Guthrie?
2: Yeah, Danny
0: Guthrie. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, Yanni, uh, you said Gerard earlier. He was starting. So the only player you're missing at this point is a striker who is also kind of a winger. And he might have played for Liverpool twice.
2: Craig Bellamy?
0: Yeah, you done it. Well in. I forgot about his second spell at Liverpool, but I just remembered right then. But yeah, you guys have done it. You've completed the
3: starting 11s. Well done. Nice. So you're about to make us name the bench, then?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's all we're going to do, just name obscure Liverpool. That's the entire episode. (laughs) Yeah, well, um, now we do have um, some questions for Frankie, actually. And um, as I mentioned earlier, Frankie works at the influencer marketing agency GOAT, And then they actually, amongst other areas, have a strong presence within football. Um, And from the way I can see it, within football, there appears to be two types of influences that I can see. So the first being the players themselves. Look at people like Rashford and Bellerin using their platforms. But then there's also like the content creators. So whether or not that sort of on-field people like the F2 Freestylers, hashtag United, that kind of thing, or more kind of personalities a bit like Johnny Sharples a guy we've actually um had on this show as a guest um so bearing this in mind Frankie and the fact now that sport is very much intertwined with music entertainment culture you name it it appears that there are um many routes you can go down when delivering uh influencer campaign related to football so um for you, does this make working on these type of campaigns very challenging or alternatively, does it just allow you and your team to be a bit more creative when you go about kind of deciding what you're going to do in these campaigns for your clients?
3: Yeah, look, I think the the modern era of sports stars becoming these, these, these huge personalities and almost becoming their own brands, whilst some people do see it as a little bit um, they, they 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 see a negative side of it. I actually think it's really positive, and um, as you say, like people like Bellerin, um and particularly Marcus Rashford. His heart, I know it's it's very obvious and talked about a lot, but just highlighting the work he does and 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 the how he he's re he's kind of re, redefined what the modern day footballer is. And like if you I think if you maybe looked at ten to fifteen years ago when you had the likes of Beckham, Lampard, skulls, Gerrard, in that sort of England. 2006 side and you compare it to the England side now where you've got Marcus Rashford who is standing up for equality when it comes to children you've got Raheem Sterling who's fighting the press in terms of racism these people are actually they actually have a voice now they're not just behind that curtain of just they're not they're not not just a footballer they're not just told to keep their mouth shut um but when it comes to our my line of work it's really exciting because players actually see value in social campaigns so Someone like Bellerin or um, who or who we we've not actually used for a campaign, but we have used footballers. Like they actually want to get involved with things. Like they they see the value of it. Whereas ten years ago, say ten years ago, or, or actually you no, know, even even less time than that ago. Like you 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 said to a player, I've actually got a an opportunity to work on social here uh, with this brand. They want to they want to do this. Like they wouldn't have been up for it. Whereas now they actually see the value in that. So I mean, even the best example I can give of, of a player actually understanding the value of social is probably about three or four years ago, we worked with um, a huge footballer, uh, literally one of the the biggest footballers um, at, in, in Premier League history, really. And we were, he, he really wanted to win um, or sorry, he, we worked with him to win a, one of the fan voted awards by the BBC. Um, so he, he, we, we partnered him with, I don't know if you know, KSI, the, the, um, huge fifa and now obviously rapper he did a video with with this um footballer and the footballer went on to win the win the fan boat by an absolute landslide you can actually go and you can go and look into it i'm not sure if i'm even allowed to talk about it but it was years ago so um but it just shows that the value these people can have if if your content if if you're a footballer and you want to grow your brand you can actually like leverage these people so like i I think the more people the more footballers do with these influencers the better really and I think the people like Sterling and Rashford are reaping the rewards of it. Yeah.
0: Um, sort of sticking on the the influencer topic, but kind of approaching the question from the opposite end. Um, I know, obviously, Joe had mentioned that, that yeah, in the in recent years, footballers, uh, the trend of them as influencers on social media has really taken off. So the biggest games, biggest names, rather, in the game, often they have more followers than like the actual clubs that they play for on those platforms. So, like I said, however, at the opposite end of this, there are young kids out there who, you know, probably aren't even like 10 years old, but they have tens of thousands of followers on social media because they're putting out clips of skills or goals or whatever, maybe some like Fortnite dancing, who knows. Um, But essentially, you know, given how intertwined football and influencing have become, my question to you, Frankie, is do you see the influencer status of a young footballer being a new gateway into the professional game? Um, Traditionally, like, unless you're in an academy or scouted directly, you're not really going to make it into pro football. But yeah, what do you make of young players using their influence status or their brand as a means of getting their foot in the door when it comes to maybe getting a professional contract.
3: For sure. Like it's, it's definitely a thing. Um, and because, you know, like if you're, I don't, I'm not a scout or I've never worked at a football club, but you know, it, it feels like being scouted by a football club, you, you have to be in the right place at the right time. Um, and being on social means you can be, you, you live, if you put a piece of content out, it lives forever. So you don't have to be at the right place at the right time. It can just be whenever, um, you know, I, I, we, I completely agree with that. and, and But what, I, what I'd also say is like, it's not just about people getting to the professional game because if you look at the number of people getting to the professional game, it's so small. It's about what social media has done and what the influencer game's done is it means you can create a f- career out of football without actually being a professional footballer. So you've got someone like the F2 who, whether you like them or you don't like them, they're obviously pretty good at football could they be a Conference South, conference, maybe League Two player? I don't know, but potentially. But what they've actually managed to do is make a lot more money by being a being a content creator and influencer. So what the beauty of it is, I think, for me anyway, and and it's kind of helped me and and one of the reasons I got involved is I'm not good enough to be a footballer. Um, and it's a lot of the reasons why a lot of people are going to be journalists and, and you know, you know, you guys do a podcast. It's is creating careers around football, um, which I, which really excites me. Um, so, like people like Spencer FC owns a football club off the back of it. Would he have been able to own a football club if he wasn't an influencer? No, he wouldn't be able to afford it. Um, so, what I, the biggest thing for me is influencer marketing, and and the whole digital bubble has created the, the opportunity to actually have a distinguished career without the need to play professional football. Because let's face it, like one, being a professional footballer, your career is short. It's impossible to get there it takes a lot of hard work you can get injured in a minute um and it yeah it, it's kind of really changed the whole game but I, I do know so I'm, I'm w- been working with someone who's looking to take over a football club actually and they so they've got some technology where people can actually upload clips to their um app and then it will kind of the AI and that app will like rate their abilities and, and it can actually feed into the next wave so I think that's where it's going to go that sort of AI scouting way is, is where we go from there.
0: Um, Just really quickly before I, I let somebody else ask a question do you see because you're quite closely involved with the, the sort of marketing strategizing side of it um, and of course off the back of that you'll have more info in terms of the numbers and the financial side of it. I'd assume that these players for now and for a while still are going to be making considerably more money from their clubs than they are from the social media. But there might come a time when that changes or if a potential sponsorship deal comes up, that they might sort of prioritize the social media aspect of their career over the football one for financial reasons, you would assume would probably be the only reason you would do that. But has, does that exist already? Or, and is that a thing that's sort of, are we approaching that moment when a player might sit out a match day because they have an opportunity elsewhere?
3: I don't think we'll get there. Um, but I I I don't think we're far off players really prioritising the, the social media aspect of the game. Um, in a similar way to like Glenn Murray would, was doing with his TV career at the end of his playing career. And and I don't, this is a really obscure reference, but I don't know if anyone saw the Salford documentary where the, the guy who's a model actually turned down playing a game to go for a model shoot because he was going to earn more money from that. Um, yeah. What I would say is I think players towards the end of their career – as, um, so we worked with um, uh, this is sort of a live example. We worked with Nico Rosberg. So it's not it's not the same, but it's, it's it's a similar comparison. He he obviously won the F1 World Championship. Was one of the only people to beat Lewis Hamilton. And then what he wanted to do was la- He knew that his career was coming to an end, so he wanted to have something ready for him when he was when it was all over. Because I think a lot of footballers they they love the money coming in when they're a footballer, but when when that ends, what do they do? How do they stimulate their mind? How do they keep earning money and, and and creating that social brand, creating a presence online that lasts longer than you do as a player is the only way to do that? So I do think that'll continue. Players will build up their brands, they'll they'll and, and you can kind of see it now. Like they'll start to get involved in businesses. And I think it probably happens a lot more in America than it does here, but like they'll 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 start to be involved in businesses and, and their personal brand is a business, just so when they do retire or they do get a career-threatening injury. They've got something to fall back on. So, yeah, I don't think we'll get to the point where players are turning down, game, uh, you know, playing games. But I do think we'll get to the point where maybe they, and, and we know this has happened, but where they choose where they they move, right? I'm sure one of the reasons players go to play for LA Galaxy or, um, you know, t- New York City is because of the opportunities that come from there. And I guess digital was just another you know, development of that.
1: Yeah, and and as you say, sort of future-proofing is an important part, especially with such a short career, and especially when, although they earn a very good living, a lot of filmlers won't necessarily earn enough to never work again in their lives. Um, And you've spoken, of course, about other kind of um, positive aspects in terms of uh, promotion, fan engagement, maybe presenting a more authentic version of themselves and speaking out about social issues that they care about. Um, It does, of course, leave them open to and vulnerable to sort of the nastier parts of the internet. I mean, football, Twitter, as a microcosm of more, like, wider Twitter is sometimes a cesspit, sometimes very nasty. Um, a lot of angry people exist there. Um, do you think that footballers are protected enough from that? And and if so, sort of whose responsibility is it? Is it the marketing agencies? Is it the clubs? Is it their own personal teams who should be um, helping prevent these sometimes, like, quite vulnerable young men from... Um, people's abuse.
3: I think there's a primarily like and I think there's a lot the people are responsible for different things. So I think for like when it comes to like abuse and uh, whether that be like Tammy Abraham getting racially abused after he misses a penalty, I think the platforms have got really really big responsibility there. Um and if they if they prove that they can't self-police then I think the government or you know the state needs to take more more responsibility there. But yeah, I think when it comes to abuse of that kind, the platform needs to take ownership. When it comes to players and, and their involvement in social media, it's a balance between the agent and the club, and that's probably where it falls down, while you do see some bad examples or um, some areas where maybe players aren't acting in, in the best way um, or uploading things they shouldn't or, or getting involved with things they shouldn't. Um, primarily, I'd always say that the club should be the the, the primary uh, person for that because you know at the end of the day they pay the wages they're they're the contract holder um they're the person that they're, they're the main employer um so i would always lean club and they should be uh you know educating players on what they can and can't do what they shouldn't shouldn't do but then i also think the pfa should should really really look at their whole after game development and i'm sure they're doing a lot but it always feels like for me the the beauty of and i'm, I'm a big nfl fan and what I think about the NFL Players Association is they've always they're always fighting for the players' rights. And I think maybe the PFA needs to be doing a better job of that.
1: So as we said, Frankie works at GOAT Marketing Agency. And the GOAT is a staple of footballing mascots across the world, maybe most famously <laughs> um, at FC Cologne or the Billy Goats, um, where Hennes is the mascot and probably the most famous Bundesliga mascot. Um, now, I have a game for you, a brand new game. We like our parlor games on this podcast. Um, and this one is called Mascot or Masnot. Um, and in this game, you will be, I will be telling you a selection of mascots and you won't have to tell me if you think they are real or fake. Mascots from around the world, different football clubs, different cultures. Um, so let's start um, at Schalke. Um, is their mascot Cola, which means coal, and manifests itself in a lump
0: of coal? Um, aren't they oh. the ones who are sponsored by Gazprom? And that's like an energy type link with coal. Yeah. So, maybe?
2: That <laughs> oh, um, if that is true, it reminds me of the West Brom boiler um, guy. <laughs> that's Sponsored by that boiler company, so they just have like... Yeah. I'm going to uh, say to your boilers.
1: It it I'm going to say a n- lump of no.
2: Yeah, I, I think no. I think we'd know about it if it was. I feel like that would be something that yeah we'd be certain on. So yeah, no, I agree. Also, but, like oh, given
0: the German teams, how good their English accounts are for social media, if it was like coal, you, they would have like a lot of Christmas material. Um, <laughs> yeah, with their mascot. Anyway, um, you, are.
1: you are all correct. Although Gelsenkirchen is famous for its coal mining. And I think Schalke's tunnel area is sort of modelled in like the shape of the inside of a coal mine. Um, their mascot is actually just a man called Irwin, So um, really <laughs> strange looking guy. Um, I couldn't find any reason as to why that's the case. Um, okay, let's move on to sunnier climbs and Brazil. Um, now, Botafogo's mascot, true or false? Um is it manequinho, which is a sort of manifestation of that, that peeing boy statue in Brussels?
2: <laughs> yes this, this is so <laughs> random that yeah, I feel it probably is true, but I, I would love to know the story behind if it doesn't. yeah
3: <laughs> Brazilians are they yeah they could they could make up anything so yeah, sure.
1: Um, yeah, it is. That's one of their mascots. They also have a Mongol dog um, as their mascot. Um, and again, I can't find a reason why it's this boy. Um, and it is kind of disturbing to see. Um, I'm not sure they have sort of an actual nude boy nowadays in the stadium, but there are kind of old time cartoons of it. Um, just that statue draped in a Botafogo shirt. That's so um, weird. So, two out of two for you all so far. Okay, true or false, Albacete's mascot um, is a reel of cheese called queso the cheese. Um, Albacete's nickname,
0: incidentally, is the clockwork cheese. Ooh. I think, I don't know if we're all going to have the same answer for this. This could be, this could go either way. I, um.
3: Yeah, don't know. What? Hmm feels like i'm playing would i lie to you <laughs> um
2: i feel i'd know about this again i feel like it would have come up in some <laughs> weird article like five crazy mascots yeah. and
0: i like spanish cheese like manchego that doesn't give me an insight into whether or not albacete are named after another one yeah. but i'm just gonna say yes
2: i'm, I'm gonna... gonna go no yeah I'm, I'm gonna go with um frankie here and say no as well but i hope it's true
1: Oh, well, Joe and Frankie are correct. Uh. It is not a cheese. They are named the clockwork cheese simply after the film, The Clockwork Orange. Um, and I think Albacete is kind of a cheese producing region, but it's actually a bat called Zete, which is, I guess, taken from the last bit of Albacete's name. Um, a couple more for, for you. Um, Junio of Barranquilla in Colombia. Have a mascot called El Viejo Willy, meaning the old Willy. True or false? True.
2: I think this is true. Yay, yeah, why not? True.
1: It is true. Um, you'll be happy to know that it's not an incarnation of an actual Willy, it's Shark. Um, Juno de Barranquilla's nickname are the Sharks, but I, like, I also want to talk about them because they have um, just a great selection of nicknames, like more than any other team I think I've ever seen. They're called Los Tiburones or the Sharks, um, the shark team, the red and white. And most weirdly, tu Papa, which Wikipedia translates as who's your daddy as a name for the team. Just really strange, um, kind of eclectic mix there. And um, that's Junior de Barranquilla in Colombia. Um, right. Atletico um, Zacatepec, also known as the sugarcane growers, have a mascot who is just a sugarcane farmer.
2: Oh. Like a real a real life one.
1: Yeah, it's, it's like a, a mat. Like he is a sugarcane yeah, farmer, go, owns a <laughs> kind of plantation, and comes every weekend for the game.
3: I can believe that, and I, 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 I can. But then I, I'd say, like in 2020, it's probably gonna have to come to a conclusion.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. God. Uh, yeah. Let's go. I'm gonna go with yes. I'm gonna go with yes. Actually, I'm gonna go with no because I'm losing. So
1: I'm i gonna
2: go in, I'm gonna go no as well.
1: Um, Joe and Kai are correct, but okay. it is, as far as I can tell, they have no mascot, but they are called the Sugarcane Growers. Um, that's their nickname um, in the Mexican second division. Um, okay, final one for you. Um, Bengaluru FC in India have a mascot um, called Eddie the Eagle.
0: What are they called? Benga. Bengaluru FC. Because that almost reminds me of like a Bangalore tiger. I would have assumed that their mascot was tiger that. or something. Yeah. Like but an actual just live tiger. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. You said it's what? Eddie the Eagle, I think. Eddie
3: the Eagle. It feels so random, it might be true. Yeah. All right. But, well, I'm going
0: to go with yes.
2: Yeah, I'll, I'll go yes too. Why not?
0: Yeah, you're all correct. It is Eddie
1: the Eagle, not the... Um is it was he a ski jumper? jumper a great guy, Britain? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it is just an eagle called Eddie who on their Twitter account gives out kind of inspirational motivation before every game, or has had a word with I think his name's Anil Chetri, one of their players, um, and has some advice that he shares with the fans before any game, um, just kind of spreading positive vibes. It's a guy too, also- or it's an eagle it's a guy in a suit a guy in a bald eagle suit um which again i don't think is kind of regionally accurate accurate in terms of sort of ornithology in, in india um but really nicely uh, they have and i, I never expected to see this on their wikipedia page bengaluru fc have a chapter called the ashley westwood era um which <laughs> was just a, a great find they have one of those for each of their managers but um, um ashley westwood was not a, a person I ever expected to have an era on Wikipedia named after him. Is that the um, Ashley
0: Westbrook? Is that the Villa Ashley Westbrook? Yeah, like the centre mid... Is he an, he's a manager or he's a player? So a manager. Manager. Oh. Um, but... It would, it would be even better player. if they had a random section on their website dedicated <laughs> to Ashley <Aston> Villa. <laughs> center, former Burnley and that's, yeah, but, Or is he Burnley now and he used to play Burnley? Oh, he must oh, be Burnley now. He, yeah,
3: yeah, they, all bl- yeah, they all blend yeah. into one. It's all claret and blue. Yeah. Um, um
1: i don't know who won that game joe, i, wasn't really I, think score, I yeah, think, that was already
3: keeping score but yeah i think it
1: was joe that i was think me and frankie
0: have, uh, got one less point
1: than joe yeah all right yeah, congratulations joe you're the first ever winner
0: of mascot or oh. mass not so. <laughs> i wonder yeah if we maybe we'll see that again but anyway moving on to um to some arsenal chat more of it yeah the the time of uh, recording we're um yeah <laughs> we'll see how fun this is for for the three of us probably a lot more fun for joe we'll see yeah. but, um yeah we're at the time recording we're a day out from playing rapid Vienna in the Europa League so that's tomorrow um but then of course this Sunday is the big one, the first North London derby of the season So this is a picture that you know all of us probably well Frankie said it earlier um maybe we're not looking forward to it as as, as much this time but um back in the day probably the three of us would have been excited because it was a guaranteed three points and pretty much bragging rights for Arsenal but yeah obviously, As I've alluded to, that's not really been the case recently. As things stand, Spurs are 13 places and eight points ahead of Arsenal in the Premier League, which means that St. Totteringham's Day will inevitably be all the more disappointing for them and all the sweeter for the rest of us when it comes around. Um, You can call that wishful thinking. Uh, I prefer to see it as manifestation. But genuinely, we'll see how that theory looks after this weekend's game. So Frankie, what would your lineup for the North London Derby be? And how do you think it's going to
3: go? Now I I I've for in recent weeks I think a lot of Arsenal fans are guilty of thinking that playing a certain player or playing a certain formation means that everything's gonna change. And I think it's it's, it's obvious to me at least that there there are big problems at Arsenal and it's not it's not it's not solved by a single player or a single formation change. It it, it requires a structural change and a way of thinking. Um Arsenal need to need to take the handbrake off. Um they need to go back to to playing similarly to how they were when Arteta first took over. Um, and I think to be, to be completely honest and, and probably more frank than I've been recently, I think Arteta's probably been found out a little bit. You know, he came in and and in the big games, he would sit in, um, play from the back counter teams, whereas they've lost their confidence. If you sit back at all against the Arsenal, um, you can, they're not going to pose a threat. Uh, so having said that, there are a few changes I would make. Um, Leno obviously would start. I'd play a back four. I'd I would drop Hector Bellerin as much as I do love the man. I'd bring in Ainsley Maitland Niles. Um, I would play Gabriel and and probably uh, David Luiz. Although I I'd, I'd love to see William Saliba, it's just never gonna happen. Um, and then left back obviously Kieran Tierney. Then in midfield I would I'd probably look to play. I, I know it looks like Party's gonna miss the game, but. So if, if if you if you dealt with that, I'd probably play, uh, Xhaka, um, Joe Willock in midfield in a deeper role. I, don't, I think you get you we could do with his energy around there when when they're you know they've got a brilliant midfield. As much as it hurts me to say, to so get Joe Joe Willock's energy in there with, with Xhaka, um, and then probably Danny Ceballos uh, as a man who does he he knows knows what it takes to play in a derby. He um, he does have good enough feet to play in that sort of level of game but i've still got reservations about him but i think with with what arsenal have got he's probably the best there um, so so sort of a, a 4-3-3 with jacka subios and and um joe willock then up front pepe's obviously suspended so you've got a you've got you got a you got a big decision to make <laughs> um it's not the the old riches of strike force we used to have um so i i, I mean and again i'm 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 not looking to play Meza Ozil. I, th- I think it's a conversation that I think you guys have probably had a hundred times and don't really want to open Pandora's box. So am going to leave Meza Ozil out. Um, and especially in an away game, you don't, you, you can't deal with that. Um, so looking to play Aubameyang, probably from the left, to be honest, as much as it pains me to say, um, I'd go with Lacazette's experience. Um, I'd drop Willian and and probably play Reese Nelson. I think he probably deserves it. Um, of Arsenal's torrid spell, Reese Nelson actually looks like the player that's covering himself in a little bit of glory.
0: So, I guess before I get on to yeah more of your sort of predictions about how it's going to go, off the top of my head, some names that are standing out as players that you sort of decided to leave out, for instance, would be Willian, which makes a lot of sense. Although, <laughs> did, or did you? Yeah, you said Nelson, you'd put in ahead of him. I guess the other one would be Saka um, on yeah. the left.
3: Saka's an interesting one. He he probably is when he plays our best player, I'm worried about his foot and I'm worried about overplaying yeah. him. I know this is a huge game, um, but I think at least at the start, we need to be disciplined, sit in. Spurs, I think the biggest problem with Spurs, and I, as much as I think they've been good, I do think teams are really being very stupid against them. Uh, like It felt like Man City had not watched a single minute of Spurs this season. And as soon as Harry Kane dropped in a little bit, you saw both centre-backs commit. It's like... It felt felt to me a lot like Leicester when they won the league, when teams would just play really high and they'd ping the ball over to Vardy. Just don't do that. Um, so we need to sit in, and I'd get I'd get Joe Willock, Sabahos, and Jackers energy in there, um, and then probably look to Saka as the game changer off the bench.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm into it. And then if he's going to be the game changer off the bench, we're sort of I guess getting ahead of ourselves. Maybe assuming that it's going to be a tight game. Um, <laughs> how's it? How's it going to go?
3: Uh. I actually now I think we've been terrible this season, uh, really terrible. And you know, if you actually if you took the badges off each of the club's kits in the Premier League and just watched the game, we've probably been a team that deserves to be in the relegation zone. Um, having said that, now I've said that it is a derby, um, and I do actually think we're pretty well set up to play Tottenham, as weirdly as that sounds. I think we played pretty well at um, White Hart Lane last season. Um, unlucky not to, to get something from that game and I think if we do and Arteta's sort of negative nature or that or like perceived negative nature I think it's really going to help him in this game um, and 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 it'll almost be a bit of a standoff between him and, him and Mourinho um, you know Mourinho as much as they've done well this season isn't isn't going to come out all guns blazing and attack Arsenal and I don't think Arsenal are going to do the same so I think it's going to be really tight uh, and and as I'm sure you guys know, like North London derbies typically are not like that. You know, they're they're four four, uh, five two. Sorry, um, they're, they're they're all out, all guns blazing games. Whereas I think this is going to be really tight, and I think one goal probably decides it. And I th- unfortunately, the way Spurs are playing, I think it's going to come from Harry Kane.
0: Yeah, he is, yeah. Too, isn't he? He's, he's interesting,
2: interesting you say Harry Kane, though. I saw a horrible, um, <laughs> horrible bit of news earlier today which allegedly Kane and Reggio might be missing out don't believe it for a second
1: they're both starting
2: (laughs) that um that that scared me a bit but um yeah if if Kane plays you've got to assume he's gonna score
1: didn't the same thing happen like Jose Mourinho said something the same about Son a few weeks ago that he was going to be out and then was just starting
0: like it's no. Well,
1: There's no way Harry, Burr
3: Burr Burr the Harry Kane. Harry Kane is starting the game. There's no way that is. Not- I don't <laughs> no. yeah. He much- started the
0: Champions League final when he
3: could like hardly walk.
0: He's gonna. Yeah,
3: he's gonna start this game. I think we're gonna need energy and we're gonna need legs against Spurs. Um, they've again much to their credit and it's paining me to say again, but in that midfield of and I know they've not played together yet, but if they did line up with that midfield of, um, Hoiberg. Uh, the Chelsea in and Ndombele, that's probably one of the best midfields in the Premier League. So you're going to need legs in there and you're going to need energy. Hopefully Saliba, I'm not sure if he's in the squad or if, mm. he's, too, if he's young enough or he doesn't need to be in the squad, but I'd love to see him in, in the Europa League tomorrow.
0: Yeah, it'll be nice when we finally get to see him in the first team. Um, well, hopefully it will be nice. He can't, he,
3: can't, <laughs> he can't be worse than what we've got, right?
0: He definitely can't be worse than a concussed David Luiz.
3: <laughs> exactly.
1: Yeah, I do like your call for Reese Nelson, though. I think he's done more than enough in his kind of cameos off the bench and in the Europa League to, to earn a start in the Premier League. Now, definitely more than the likes of Willian have 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 shown. Um, I wanted to ask you, though, because, I mean, you mentioned about Arteta and how from after winning the FA Cup and the Community Shield and the first couple of games of the season, there was, seemed to be a lot of positivity around the club and around him. Um and i think with good reason i mean he's a new manager who was able to negotiate a very difficult situation with the pandemic and win a trophy um within months of his first gig basically um and a lot of that seems to have dissipated in the in the light of recent results even though you've got that united game sandwiched in between which again seemed like a kind of beacon of hope um how has your personal perception of arteta changed and it seems like a lot of Arsenal fans, at least on my Twitter timeline, are kind of starting to give up hope. To me, that feels a bit premature. Um, how do you feel about that?
3: It's tricky, right? Um, I think what it's probably done, it's it's managed my expectations on him. I think when when he first came in... Um, probably not really when he first came in, actually, because it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't all guns blazing when he first came in. There was a there was a little bit of a struggle, but then it, towards the end of the season, obviously won the FA Cup, as you said, Community Shield was brilliant. Uh, opening day at Fulham, I was like, all right, we're in business here. Um, so, and I, I think we probably overrated him a little bit, um, but he's a rookie manager. This is his first job. I uh, I think it's you know he was always going to there's always a potential where he was going to find something really challenging at first. And I think for me and and, and the managers that bounce back after a really tough period, are the managers that are going to be really successful. And and I hope Arteta is one of those. Like there's no getting away from the fact this is a really, really tough stretch for Arsenal. It's probably one of the worst runs of form we've ever had as a club in the last 25 years. Um, having said that, I still believe in the man. Like you know, you don't you don't come un, up under Pep Guardiola. You don't have you don't get highly talked about by a lot of football players, and, and you don't come with the, the gravitas that he does. And you, and and simply become a bad coach overnight. Um, look, I think Arsenal aren't creating enough. Um, probably a little bit gun shy. Maybe he's overcoaching them. Um, I think that can turn around. You know, a few bits of good fortune, um, a big result, maybe a big result on Sunday. Suddenly and then the club back him in January, maybe that just starts to turn out. I think what, what he, the mistake he made was in the summer, and, and I guess pandemic didn't help with this, but in the summer, he probably he relied on players that he thought he could turn and, and change them from being uncoachable to coachable. So people like Mustafi, Louise, Xhaka even, and he, he probably thought he could actually turn them around long-term, whereas whilst they maybe did enough for him when he first came in, we know they're not good enough players. Like, as much as I've stood up for Granite Jacker over the years, he's not good enough. Um, Shockdown Mustafi maybe played well towards the end of last season, he's not good enough. Um, so I think he's starting to realise. And and I actually did. I went through our squad the other day, and I looked at players I'd want to keep long term. And I actually I only think there were there was there was less than ten, um, which is a damning indictment. Because I'm sure um, I'm sure if you ask Joe, there's way more than ten Spurs players you would love to keep. They've actually got probably a core of 15 to 18 players that they definitely want to keep. Whereas Arsenal, he needs a big overhaul. And I think if it wasn't for the pandemic, he probably would have been able to shift six to 10 players um, that he hasn't been able to.
2: That's a good point, actually, that you just raised. One that, yeah, there are a lot of Tottenham players that I like. But also, um, well, we're, we're a month away from January now. And obviously you've said that, well, clearly the Arsenal squad needs improving. Do you think Arsenal will buy any players in January? And... If so,
3: who? Which I position? think they they have to buy a creative player. Um, if not two, uh, I'd love to see him go back in for uh, Hasimawa. Um, do I think that's achievable? Potentially, I know he's been left out of a few squads and he's been had a bit of a bust up over in, in Leon. Um, and then, obviously, I mean, I'm not even going to try and pronounce his name because I've only read it on Twitter. Um, but the guy from the guy from Salzburg obviously looked really exciting um i fear we're probably going to miss out on him um if we can't land aoar then it's probably not a sexy name it's not a glamorous name but someone like emi Buendia is is someone i could see the club going for um i hope we can aim a bit a little bit higher than that so i think if you if you said to me who should we definitely be signing there's a big problem in the of creativity and i think that's not just top-of-the-pitch creativity, but actually, like, deeper creativities, So, like, getting the ball from midfield between the lines and then also getting the ball from, say, the top end of the pitch to, the, to Aubameyang. So, um, I think, actually, Alwar and uh, the, <laughs> the Hungarian playmaker are, are two players that the club need and they actually probably need to get both. Will they get both? Probably not. So, I'd probably take one. i will take one of those two.
2: What about um, Christian Eriksson? would you take him
3: i i don't i don't know how much that guy wants to play football anymore like where's his motivation gone uh, the last 6 months at spurs i don't think he was special yeah it wasn't um,
2: it was sad really he's one of my favorite spurs players in recent years but yeah he yeah he was pretty poor for that last 6 months as you said yeah
3: we like as a club and we're in a position now with the likes of man city liverpool chelsea going to spend all this money manchester united being a the global star the financial superpower they are we can't really afford to go and buy a 28 year old as much as the fee will be low we can't afford to get that transfer wrong whereas you sign someone like the hungarian playmaker he's <laughs> <laughs> coming in at an age of like 24 or 23 or whatever or maybe even a bit younger than that you, it's not it's not so much the For me, it's not so much the transfer fee, it's the wages and 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 the sell-on fee. Like we we can't afford to get it wrong. We got it wrong so many times. You look back at that summer transfer window where we bought the likes of Lucas Perez. Um and 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 as much as I love the player, like Thomas Party, 27 years old, we this transfer has to work. Um there's no way this transfer can not be anything other than a smash hit. So I'm, I'm a little bit worried that the club are thinking a bit too short term of their signings. Um, and I and I hope that they go for, for someone a bit younger. So yeah, Ericsson is not... I want players that are on the way up, not on the way down, basically.
0: Does, um, does Sokratis still play for us?
3: For some reason he does, yeah.
0: Like, yeah, like, Ericsson is 100% the player we cannot sign because of everything that you said about wages, essentially. Like, there's too many of those players in our squad already that are on their way down, like... It's been really strange the sort of tactic of trying to pluck players that once upon a time were like Champions League quality and assuming that that's going to take us back. Like Stefan Lichtsteiner for a season. Like, what, what was that all about? Sokratis, for instance. I think Socrates did come in at a time when our backline was particularly awful compared especially to how mm-hmm. it is now. So he did help out a little bit, but I think we need to start distancing ourselves from those types of signings. Even, for instance, when we were being like touted to sign someone like Zaha that could have gone either way that could have been a huge no. success or it could have been an absolute disaster so like we just need to invest in youth at this point um the shop I'm going to try to say his name Dominic Shabashlai uh, from Hungary <laughs> um you know what was it uh, Dortmund went in and bought Haaland from Salzburg in January last year um and he tore it up um off the back of the form he was already producing this guy is not just producing in Austria he's destroying the Champions League and on an international level he's Hungary's best player are we going to get him obviously there's going to be a lot of people potentially trying to get him but
2: not included um if you believe the included. room
0: yeah well I mean you've still got Deli Alley on your book so for instance honestly like, like that for instance if we could get Deli, like that would be a player that <laughs> he's, he's been on port- <laughs> but, it, but he's his window for potential they still got room for growth and he's definitely can't be any worse than he has for you know the last oh, I didn't
2: month. I didn't see this coming but there we go. Keitel wants Delhi at the <laughs> Emirates. I'll take you. you, Delhi.
0: You'd be good for the Instagram sort of stories.
3: <laughs> I think the problem the problem was Arsenal and, and they probably still did it this summer, like they were looking for a quick fix back into the Champions League. Like, they were looking for that short term like William he's gonna get yeah. us back into the Champions League. Whereas actually to get back into the Champions League on a sustainable basis you need to go and sign Young players that grow, as you say. So you need you need to go and buy. And and as much as it's not worked, and I wish it worked, Pepe was the right sort of signing. Um, and 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 that I worry that because of the outcome, people don't. The, the board are not going to trust the process. But I think the process was actually right.
0: Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, when you can beat Napoli, who are a Champions League team and consistently so, we're pretty much our opposition to get Pepe, and we, he wanted to come to us ahead of them. And, you know, they would have gladly had him, like we were saying. So the talent's there. Um, and honestly, like statistically speaking, that's he's backed that up as well, Pepe. It's just been maybe sort of that style of play similar to Ozil, where it doesn't necessarily look like he's giving 100%. But in terms of sheer talent, and somebody else was saying it the other day as well, players that make you excited and get you on the edge of your seat, we don't have anybody except for Pepe in that regard <laughs> at this point, basically. So like football, you know is a results game and we're not invested in the same way that the club is but it's also the reason we started watching it was for entertainment so i just think from a fan's point of view listen we're not going to win the premier league we're probably not even going to come fourth in the premier league so why not try to
2: get top half kai well exactly i was gonna say so why
0: not at least at least try to up the resale value of a massive investment that's that's like the you know the like I said, at least you're going to be doing that. So why not?
3: And he's young. That's how Liverpool Liverpool built their team, right? They, they had, they sold Coutinho for 150 million. um, And, you know, they, they managed, they sold Sterling for 50 million. I know it's obviously looked good now, but, um, and, and we did it. Like we played a Wobi. what he played, probably played 40 40 Premier League appearances and he's worth 45 million or 40 million. Um, I completely agree. Like we're, it's about like people. I want to see Emil Smith Rowe play more games. I, I want to see Malagan so, play like, more games.
0: He he's brilliant.
3: I just want to see these young players play. And it, one, if they're good enough, great. You've got a really good young asset. If if not, someone in the Premier League is going to pay good money for them.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like we already know all of Xhaka's limitations and flaws. You know, we might as well find out some shortcomings of these other guys so that we know if they're ready or not. Because we know, like we've all said, that Xhaka's not. He's not the answer. Not to pick on him. There's other guys in the squad. But yeah, clearly youth is the answer. Even at Spurs, you know, you've got Winks was someone that you're able to introduce into the side. Eventually he replaced someone like a Dembele. Did you get a transfer fee for Dembele? I can't remember. Did you get a lot more wages off the book and still have a player that can come in and do a job for Spurs? Yes. Do we have that player to step into Xhaka's role at this point? Not necessarily.
2: I, th- I think Harry Winks would be very flattered there about your replacement. No, in comparison to <laughs> Um Yeah, but no, no, I, I see your point. And yeah, look, as it stands, I'm in a lucky position for the first time in my life where Arsenal are pretty terrible, which is now it might not last. And we're also, we're top of the league, we're doing well. So from my perspective, long may it last. I know it won't, but I'm just going to enjoy this period um, at least the the remaining days until the North London derby where it could all change again. Um, but I think that is probably a good place to end um, today's show. So as always, a big thank you to my co-host Keitel and then of course to our great power and um, regular contributor as well to the podcast, Yoni. And then finally, a massive thank you um, to our brilliant guest, Frankie Hobbs. Frankie, thanks for coming on and hope you enjoyed yourself.
3: I did. You know what? I, uh, I've not done a podcast in a while. It was very enjoyable. I particularly enjoyed the, uh, the quizzes. Um, (laughs) I'm a big, I'm a big, I'm actually a big pub quizzer and, uh, actually take part in a a football pub quiz as well. So very, very enjoyable.
2: Oh, no, well we're, we're glad you enjoyed that. And, um, if our listeners enjoyed listening to you, Frankie, where can they follow you? How can they follow you? And what can they expect them to see?
3: They, they can follow me on Twitter, um, Frankie underscore Hobbs, H uh, O B B S. Now, I would say I probably don't tweet as much as I used to. Um, I, I, I can, I can only really tweet about around the games now. Um, but I don't know. I, you can, you can expect to see me moaning at Xhaka. You can expect to see me moaning at. Players, but to be honest, in, in the last year, I, I think I find myself just trying to trying to encourage the team um, and trying and actually not take it too seriously anymore. Um, you know, when we I know when we played Manchester United away, let's just I, everyone was moaning at the lineup. I just said let's just calm down and enjoy the game, and, and we went and won. So hopefully, some calm thoughts on Arsenal. Calm
2: thoughts on Arsenal. I'm sure people will be enjoying it or like you feeling the pain together, all the Arsenal fans. But um for um anyone listening um to the podcast, and if you want to follow um the United Mates, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook at United Mates FP. And then you can also subscribe to us on YouTube. That's the United Mates football podcast. That is it tonight. Thank you very much, and goodbye.